0: John 15, verse 14 says, You are my friends. But he puts a little condition on it, doesn't he? You are my friends. It it would be great if we were just like unconditional friends with God. Wouldn't you love it? Wouldn't the whole world be happy? Just do whatever you want. There's a condition. Everybody see the condition? The condition is, you know, there's gonna be a condition if you ever hear the word if. There's gonna be a condition. I'll give you this brand new Lamborghini if. Oh, great, 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 yeah, give me that Lamborghini, give me that nice new Corvette, right? Speaking my language. If you pay $120,000, right? I'll do this for you if. So husbands, our ears perk up when we hear if, right? Wives, if. Kids, I will take you to Disney World. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If, ah, if you clean your room, then okay, I guess we're not going to Disney World. I guess it's fine. But what does he say in this one short verse? He says, You're my friends, which is awesome, right? And it's absolutely urgently necessary. But there is a condition. He says, if you do whatsoever, I command you. Good news. Another place, he says, my commands are not crazy, hard, difficult, miserable, ridiculous. My commands are not grievous, he said. His commands are very minimal compared to the promise aren't you glad for the promise he's our friend god is innocent he's pure and holy he's also offended and has every reason to be incensed towards us the offenders until we are reconciled until we're reconciled jesus name i want to be his friend today How about we make sure when we walk out of here today and we make our way, we're going to become the kind of people, if we weren't already, who are the kind of friends with him that when we have friends in this world, they recognize the glory, the capacity, the peace, and the authority that we have as being friends of God. And we can speak into situations that speak the friendship of God in our lives and create an open door for someone to find friendship with Jesus who were not friends before. Jesus' name. Would you reach your hand up to your friend right now? God, I want to be friends. Lord, I don't want to miss out on a friendship with Jesus. Lord God, I want to make sure my friendship is solid, complete. I want to make sure, God, that it's certain. So help us today. God, help me to convey in the next few minutes A message that we hope and pray will be carried into the rest of our lives from enemies to friends in jesus name everybody say in jesus name amen Amen. and amen everybody say amen Amen. turn your neighbor and say i'm glad you're my friend and then you can take your seat glad you're my friend praise god you're welcome to be seated Thank you so much, choir. Thank you, singers, musicians, technical operations. You know, I felt a special burden today for those who are watching online. I don't know why it's not usual. I don't think of it all the time like I probably should. But why don't we just spend a moment, pray for those who are watching online who couldn't be here. Would y'all do that with me? Lord, we're blessed to be here in person. But God, there's a lot of people watching or will be watching. And we'll be partaking of this message, partaking of this worship. God, I pray for healing virtue to move through this recording or through this live broadcast into the homes and the hearts of the viewer. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad it's not limited to 10 people in the sanctuary today with video operations. And the rest of you staying at home. We really were, man, we, those were miserable days. But can I tell you, we had some powerful anointing in, these, in those services. We really did. Just us, a few, few of us gathered together. And I'm glad it's over with and the pandemic has uh, alleviated. And here we are today with the privilege of knowing the power of the Holy Ghost it doesn't fail us through times of our social and cultural dropouts. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I, I just felt like thanking those who were faithful every week while the rest of us got to kind of just chill because we didn't have a church to come to, we didn't have to worry about snow removal, cleaning was minimal, you know. But there was a bunch who just said, okay, I'm not going to stop, and I, my church means enough to me that I'm going to stay faithful. I, I want to be one of the 10. It might be like 11. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But don't tell the CDC. <laughs> we had people, can I come and just be in the back? I'll keep my distance. It was wonderful. Really, really wonderful times. I Mer- appreciate memories. I have a, a quick message for you To before the message. A couple of quick messages. First of all, our midweek studies are urgent. It's hard for us to gauge the crowd, but this coming Tuesday night is going to be all out worship and all out one big service like this at 7 p.m. Okay? It's called First Tuesday because it's first Tuesday of the month. Please be here. Now I won't tell you why you need to be here this Tuesday. You get a head start if you want to be an early achiever. How many of you have been known as an early achiever? Don't raise your hand. You already had your hand up. (laughs) I already saw some people like, man, I was wishing he would ask. Anyway, early achievers. (laughs) We have books like this already in the lobby. It's available online as well by by our website. Click on the Bible studies tab. But this is the spring 2022 devotion. It's got five days a week of reading leading up to each class each session it is taking anointed apostolic writing from writers who are spirit-filled into your everyday lives and when you've read all five of those before the Tuesday night Bible study you will be so pumped so primed and ready kind of like a student who's done their reading before the class five readings So if you are catching on with me quickly, this coming Tuesday night is actually the first session. So we're already like three days behind in our reading. If you'll get this book before you leave, you can quickly turn to page number 10 and read day, day one and day two and day three today. Then, of course, tomorrow and Tuesday, you can read day four and day five. And then on page 15, it has the participants guide for Tuesday night which I'm probably not going to follow exactly, God willing. I'll be the preacher here, teacher, and uh, it'll be all together in the sanctuary. I'm going to have a great time teaching. Now, here it is. Let me tell you what the next four weeks are about. They're about our hiding place. Everybody say our hiding place. Aren't you glad we have Jesus Christ as our hiding place? He's our shelter. He's our protect. If you need security, and this world is ever more security conscious these days, Right? From online security and identity theft and all that. Think about it. Today, you have the privilege of studying with me. Actually, the next three, next four weeks, we're going to study our hiding place in God. Hiding God's Word in our hearts is included in that session. Also, God's Word, that's the next four weeks, God's Word, uh, excuse me, God is with us. And we're going to get to study Joseph in the Old Testament, his four life stages. Joseph is the Jesus of the Old Testament. And if you join with us those, those four weeks, it's God is with us. And then the final four weeks of this semester, we're studying you must be born again every Tuesday night. We're studying that for four weeks in a row, the New Testament plan of salvation. That is for those who are not already in another class. If you're in our new believers class called Elements, then you've got to wait till the next time around, and then you'll be able to partake of this, or you can take this home and read it right along with the rest of the, the, the class, <clears throat> the, the church, and we'll not, be, we'll not be too far separated. You'll just miss the teachings on Tuesday nights. All right. Now, that's not all. That's not all. Tuesday night is very important. Tuesday night is not like an alternative, optional, if you feel like it. Tuesday night needs to become, after the pandemic, it needs to become urgent. I really want you to know that because I do not feel like that Sunday morning is enough We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I love the word assembling because that really has to do with the gathering together in a corporate communal atmosphere, which we're doing every Tuesday night. But not only that, I believe you ought to try to be here and let's all do this. Let's try to make carve out time on Thursday nights for power packed prayer. The worship in the sanctuary this morning, the atmosphere and the power of God, I can feel, you can feel, that's left over from Thursday night's prayer meeting. I feel it in my heart. We had a power-packed prayer meeting. We had a lot of good prayer warriors here. Won't you make sure you're one of those prayer warriors on Thursdays, by God's grace, if you possibly can. We have church-wide, we call it all-church prayer every Thursday night. All of these things can be determined on our website, and you've got to make sure, of course, if I were you, make sure you're on, a, uh, on the, the uh, text list in case there are adjustments. All right, now, last thing, and most importantly, I need to welcome Callahan Maxwell Heyman to his very first service, his very first service, and if he decides that he wants to preach a little while today, don't rush him off, don't run out. Let him, let him preach a little while. He might, be, might sound like crying to you. <laughs> but I'm so excited about my precious grandson. My wife and I are so thankful. I'm telling you, she is the most magnificent grandmother on the planet. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful for my beautiful, my beautiful wise wife, Sister Haman. She is the most young and energetic grandmother you've ever seen. And I'm so thankful for her. And, and I'm proud, so proud of this baby's mom. Sister Sheridan, what an incredible, anointed and caring mother she is, which we would not have known so much as if she had didn't have a baby. And son, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for your faithfulness to God. And here is one of the beautiful benefits of serving God and loving the Lord with all of your heart and staying faithful, and that is watch what God does, the fruit He brings into your life. And little Callahan Maxwell Heyman is truly eating them out of house and home. It won't be long until he'll be riding an ATV with Grandpa. Right. Amen. We had our first chance to babysit last night. Boy, it was a heaven on earth. We got nothing else done. It's like the whole world can just wait. We got four hours. And that little guy is awesome. So anyway, welcome. Thank you for letting me dote on my grandson for a moment there. That time doesn't count against me. Okay. <laughs> John 15, 13. Let's back up from what I already read. Remember, we read, You are my friends, if. Let's let's read the verse before that. You might not have realized, but there's a verse before that that's even more familiar than that. It says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Watch this. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. Everybody notice that. Everybody say, I didn't choose him. Oh, but it's free moral agency. Oh, but I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm, I'm a master of my own fate. So I'm choosing. No, no, no. No, no, no. Catch this. Jesus didn't say this. These weren't idle words. He said, you did not choose me. But look what he did. But I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Come on now, somebody, that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Wow. There's so much in that passage. What did we just read? What was in that passage? What stood out? Anybody be willing to belt it out? What stood out to you in that passage? Go. I love it. Who said that? Would you like a microphone? He chose me. Oh, but no, 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 no. I'm American. I get to choose. No, no, no. You can choose whether or not, but if you do, you've got to realize that the choice didn't start with you. He, oh my word, I'm about to get so far ahead of myself, it's almost time for an altar call and dismissal. You're like, oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a second. I've got a a, a big picture I want to show you on the screen in just a minute. But last week, remember, we did politically speaking from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. just want to give you a quick little where we are moment, put a little context to this. Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, which is Palm Sunday, by the way. We're going to be speaking militarily the terms from defeat to victory. If you've ever felt defeat you got to be here Sunday, and if you know someone who has felt defeat, bring them with you Sunday, from defeat to victory. And then on Sunday, Easter, we're going to be, April 17th, that's two weeks, we're going to be, by God's grace, we're going to be, biologically speaking, we're going to speak from death to life as the title, from death to life. So today, I like to say we're diplomatically speaking from enemies to friends. Got that? From enemies to friends. That's today's message, from enemies to friends. Now, what I'm about to show you on the screen is a picture of what is on display at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland. I really would love to take you all by charter jet and charter bus to this St. Patrick's Cathedral. Today, but I, I'm sorry we have to just do it on picture. I, because why? Because I'd like to be in Ireland myself. You know, at least taking pictures for a few days. But I want to show you a picture of a door, an ancient door. This is the door that's on display. This door actually is hanging on a special hanger to show it is special. It's memorialized. It's a rough-hewn ancient door with a chopped open rough rectangular opening hacked in the center. Y'all see that? It's right in the middle, hacked in the center. What you're seeing is the door (laughs) of the cathedral to another room past the, the vestibule there when you look through that hole. What's up with this door? Well, this door is known as the door that brings to light the Irish expression, chancing one's arm. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but chancing one's arm is is what we say when we reference this door. And if you wonder if anybody's ever said chancing your arm, this is where it comes from. In a snapshot background, here's what happened. In 1492, there were two Irish families who could not get along. Two prominent Irish families were at each other's throat. There had been bloodshed. There had been violence. There had been anger. There had been, there had been animosity between the two and ultimately, obviously, hostility between the two families the Ormonds and the Kildareys. 1492, you weren't here, I wasn't here, but there's an interesting relic that was there, and it's this door. This door stood in a place that was the chapter house of St. Patrick's Cathedral all the way back in 1492. This was the door well, this family feud that was going on between the Ormonds and the Kildares found the Earl of Ormond losing the fight. And he was running for his life from the Earl of Kildare. All right? He was at a point in time where they realized they were besieged and they had no choice. But to take flight and get away from the Ormonds. And the Earl of Ormond, his name was James Butler. Ormond is those, actually, I got it backwards. The Ormonds were those who rushed for refuge into the cathedral chapter house. As they rushed in, Hot on their heels, here comes the Kilderries. They slam the door, bolt it, as many times as they possibly can. And the Kilderries go bumping up against the door and safe inside, at least for the moment, is the Ormond side of the feud. The Kilderries banging on the door, trying to get in, but they obviously stayed safe for a time inside this cathedral chapter house. Well, enough time went by. The fighting had to come to a stop because of this door that was in the way. Ah, doors. Doors can slow things down, can't they? This door was the thing that was holding back more bloodshed. But it came, when, it came a time when the Earl of Kildare stopped, took a few breaths and realized this is foolishness for us to be fighting like this. I don't know what came over him, but something came over him. And he said to himself, here we are, two families worshiping the same God in the same church living in the same country, trying to kill each other. Wouldn't it be great if everyone here and everyone watching would let that overwhelm you if you have anything against anybody? God help us today to catch this. Enemies at each other's throat. But suddenly... One of the offended parties decides, I'm going to call out for a stop to this vengeance and violence. So he raised his voice to Sir James inside. And uh, as the inscription on the door says, which you can't read, but it says that that Sir James uh, was called out to, and it was on the outside, Gerald Fitzgerald, Earl of Kildare, is hollering out these words, I'm undertaking to my honor that I will receive no villainy. I have a translation for you. In other words, he was saying, I'm going to begin a process of peace. And I promise that I won't hurt you anymore. Well, afraid of further treachery, Ormond on the inside. Uh-uh. Oh, no, no. I'm not going to open that door. No. No, no, no. He can holler all he wants, but I'm not opening this door. We're going to be enemies to the end. Whatever his attitude was, he said, no, don't anybody touch that door. Don't anybody touch those bolts. Leave that thing closed. We're not going to open this door. Not on my life. Well, it wasn't but just a little bit longer, and they heard some crashing and some banging against the door. And guess what? Kildare on the outside seized his spear, and he cut a hole in the door that was big enough. When he got finished and pushed the wood through... He yanked his sword back, his spear back, and he literally thrust his hand through the door all the way up to his elbow. Totally chancing to have his arm cut off. But to his surprise, and to history's credit, For these who were feuding, that hand on the other side of the church door was grasped by the hand of his family member who he had been feuding with. And so from this noble gesture comes the expression, chancing your arm. When that was over with, they opened the door and the feud turned. Into a family reunion. And everything became. Fine. Between them all. So. Here's what I want. You to do today. Is I want you and me together. I want us to think. About the door. That imposes. Enemy. Relationship. Between us. And others, but not just us and others, but us and Almighty God, our Creator. Think about it. Literally, here's the question Who closed the door? Because you and I know in the book of Revelation, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And he says, if any man will hear my voice, open the door. I'm not going to come in there and cut your head off. I'm not going to thrust you through with a spear. Some of us are like, oh, no, don't touch that bolt. You're sitting here today. You're thinking, ain't no, nothing going to change me being in this service right now. You know, I'm, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Well, let me, just, let me just back up and give you one really good line. Ready? Here it is. God is your enemy. Think about that. When you hear those words, when you hear me say those words, what's the first thought that pops into your mind? <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I'm look at you in the eye. God is your enemy. I can trace three most likely reactions to me telling you that God is your enemy. The first one is a little heat that rises under your collar. And you start feeling a little anger starting to boil up in you. And you're like, what? No. No. I call that the indignation response. Then I think it's possible that you could have the response that's a response of comfort in knowing that that used to be true, but no longer is. And then the third one is perhaps a reaction of fear. Capturing the reality of those very words. God is your enemy. Let's stop and think about that for a minute. Have you ever thought about that? probably never expected to hear someone in a church that loves God and loves our neighbors to tell you God is your enemy. Here's the the deal. We live in a pluralistic world. And the very first reaction that I described is the most common reaction. It is one of anger and indignation. How can God be my enemy when he loves everybody? Usually, coupled with this universal love of God, is this modern notion that God is quite willing to tolerate virtually any belief a person may have, as long as you're sincere. That's extremely popular in our world today. Extremely popular. So that's what I'm talking about. When I say God is your enemy and you feel anger come rising up. That's probably something that should tell you that there is a modern notion that is trying to stay embedded in your heart. And Pastor Haman is here today trying to pull it out of your heart so that you will not be guilty of democratization of God. That he ought to treat. What is it? Democratization of God. He's like, it's like a democracy. We can all vote that he's God -like, like we think he should be. Now that's democratizing God. We can't do that. That is absolutely impossible to, to think that he ought to treat everyone equally. Therefore, to speak of God as our enemy produces looks of disdain from non-Christians. I highly do not recommend you go to Burger King today and pay your bill and look at your, 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 your person that's, that's, that's fixing your food for you and say, God is your enemy. But I don't know, if the Holy Ghost tells you to do it, do it with fear and trepidation and a readiness to back it up and say what I'm saying, okay? You gotta be able to say, that's the popular viewpoint looked at through the lens of impossibility. Oh no, 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 no. So see, I've gotta get through this first before I can really get into a message that says, God is inviting you from enemy to friend because Everybody otherwise wonders what I'm talking about. We're all God's friends. So let me, let me just ask you, do you think we should, you think we should lean towards what's popular or towards what's biblical? See, today we're in a house that has an overwhelming pop, uh, over, overwhelming vote for, if we were to vote, that we're going to be biblical. We're concentrated from all over the city, this region here today in an audience that we love God, we love his word. But I have a feeling if you're on a talk show today and you said call in or vote online, what should we what should we do with our lives? Should it be biblical or popular? The way we look at God, should it be biblical or popular? Here's what I want to preach today in the next few minutes. We must banish the belief that God relates the same way to all people. Stop and think about that. Because a bunch of you, like me, I have to stop and think about this. Otherwise, I get absorbed into the world that I'm living in. And if we don't come to church regularly and study God's word regularly, we can become absorbed into the world we live in and we just fade into the background and the salt loses its savor, the light dims and even goes out and we are of no use whatsoever to anybody else and of course no use to God. So what we've gotta do is say, God, I am going to banish the belief that you relate the same way to everybody. It's popular. But it's hardly biblical. So, so does God indeed relate differently to a wicked man versus a righteous man? Yes, He does. You know how I know? Because in the middle of a wicked world, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why didn't everybody find grace in the eyes of the Lord? See, that would be popular. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, my word, that's the kind of God you Christians believe in? No, it's the kind of God that's in the Bible. And I didn't write it. And thank God it stands after thousands of years and so much scrutiny, you'd never believe it. Been through floods and fires and through so many purges trying to get rid of it, but it is still a powerful bestseller in the (laughs) world's book list. I say praise God for the Word. Listen to me, and I want to tell you something. A self-righteous person is totally viewed differently by God than a humble person. You're like, oh my goodness, I thought we were all the same in the sight of God. This ought to make you realize, maybe I am not so right with God after all. Maybe He is an enemy. If there's even the slightest chance that I'm His enemy, I I want to spend time praying and asking Him to make me His friend. And do whatever it takes. A self-righteous versus a humble person. Luke 18, 14 says, I tell you, one man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm telling you, God does not relate the same to everyone. He's related, he relates differently to those who please Him. Versus those who do not please him. Oh, but Pastor, I thought we were all in this together, one great big ball of fuzzy ball of love that's spinning through space. You know we're not. I think something's ticking in our hearts now. And the world, I believe, is starting to wake up to a realization it's a terror, it's a world of terror and bloodshed we're living in. Warfare and treachery, deceit, so much scandal, junk going on in our world. You know what ought to make us realize? I'm going to be a man or a woman of God. I don't want to be an enemy. I'm going to be a friend. Here's what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians ten five says, But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God saved one generation out of another generation. He chose one over the other because one pleased him and the other didn't. To the wise and the learned versus little children. Okay, what about that? Well, Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus answered and said, listen to this. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Watch this. That you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babies. Oh, my goodness. He doesn't relate the same to everybody. We better make sure we're on the right side of this thing. He knows and he chooses who to reveal and who to conceal. I want to be on the side of revelation. God, don't let me miss it. Babies. Even so, Father, for what seemed good in your sight. All right. Are we making progress here? We're not all graded on the same curve. God is a God of distinction and a God who responds to our responsiveness to him and his word. Can I just back up and make sure you got all that? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The the, the Bible says that the the one who was self-righteous went to his house To be humbled because he was someone who thought he was important, but he wasn't. And the one who was humble was exalted by God and forgiven. The one who pleases God is the one who will make it through into the promised land. And it's babies who God chooses to reveal Himself to. Those who don't think they know everything there is to know about God kind of get tired hanging around that kind of people anyway lord please give me patience yes (laughs) that was so perfect thank you do that again another sound next opportunity all right so please please let's not get too far away from this why are people considered enemies of god why it's a three-letter word the word sin the word sin is the problem The essence and the context and the the whole meaning of sin is the door, bam, like the picture that closes us off and creates distance and animosity and enmity. Paul makes this connection so beautiful clearly in Romans 5. I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, Romans 5, such an incredible passage of Scripture. Can I just get us... can Can I just... I want to just take take a little moment here and just, just read it to you. Easy to understand. Here's what it really, the essence of it is. There's more to come, Paul says. He said, we continue to shout our praise even when we are hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. Uh, oh, come on somebody. And we know how patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. Aren't you glad to serve that kind of a God. I don't care what happens next. I'm ready. I can make it. I can serve him and I can please him in Jesus' name. Now watch this. In alert expectancy, such as this. Everybody who's in alert expectancy, raise your hand real high. The rest of you need not do that. It's okay. One more chance. Everybody who's in alert expectancy, raise your hand. Already, you know, I can tell when I've gone too long, it's like everybody's... What did he just say? What what, way are we raising our hands? Our expectancy. (sighs) I love this this, this way of of communication. We're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. Watch this. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't, and he doesn't wait for us to get ready. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And he doesn't wait for you to get ready. He comes to you before you hang out and say, I'm ready. No, before you, he doesn't wait for you to get ready. He presents himself for his, for, to this sacrificial death when we're far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. Ain't nobody gonna be getting God to get good today. Not today. You're not gonna get good enough and get ready enough for God. God is a God who says, I love you too much to leave you in a condition you're in and wait for you to get ready. I will come to you when you're far too weak, even rebellious, and you're not willing to do anything. Even if if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless selfless sacrifice. Verse 8 says, But God put His love on the line for us by offering His Son in sacrificial death while we were of no use. Would you repeat after me? While... Make it personal. While I was of no use, I couldn't do a thing to help him raise a finger. I couldn't make the world of eternity a better. No, no, no. It's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with his amazing grace. There he is. He's preaching. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No longer a question. Listen to this. we got to catch this. When we were at our worst, jumping down to verse 10, if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of His Son. Now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of His resurrection life. Now that we've actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content simply saying it in plodding prose. We love to jump to our feet, join the singers and sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. And we say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me before I was even capable of praising you, you. Put your name on the line. Here's some more familiar words. What I just read in more familiar words, but God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, which we all were, And if you are, you have no worries, because today's your day. (laughs) Folks, uh, do you see verse 10 on the screen? Yes, for if, everybody read it with me. For if when we, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, everybody. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I thank him for being alive today. He's alive. Come on, somebody give him a hand clap. Now in English... The word reconcile. I want you to think about this for a minute because that's so powerful in this passage. The word reconcile pops up four times in two verses. So important. The English word reconcile. Everybody say reconcile. If you love words like I do, I like to just go way back and figure out what they mean. From their roots. In the Anglo-French and Latin origin... It really means recounsel. And counsel means to have been brought to a place of harmony. So to do it again, recounsel, reconcile. In the dictionary, it means to restore to friendship or harmony. And the word reconcile is the perfect word translated. For the Greek word, which I'm not going to share with you today because it's not important. But if you look at that word in the Greek, there is no more perfect word than reconcile. I want everybody to say reconcile with me. Biblical reconcile, biblically reconciling. Can I just share something with you real quick? It's not a two-way street. Okay, this is so important right now. It's not a two-way street. It's not where... Boom, I'm offended, because you offended me, so I offend you, and now we both are offended. It's kind of like we're on either side of the net. You know, love, love, oh, 15 love, whatever, 20 love. And then it's hopefully 15, 15, and hopefully 15, 20, and then it's 20, 20 love, love. what 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 game is that? If you know what game that is, say it real loud. Oh, praise the Lord. Are y'all getting excited to have some warm days to go back out and do that? That's when it's kind of like two sides. Two sides equally. Two sides that both have a dog in the fight. Listen to me. Listen, this is so important. Can I tell you it's not talking about two parties leaving something on the table in an act of compromise. That may be your first thought. That's what reconcile means. No, 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 no. In this Greek word, the biblical reconciliation concept here is not two people who've been equally offended on equal sides of the net, spaced out. No, no, no. There is one side who's produced all of the offense. And one side that's entirely been wronged and offended. Somebody needs to stop and think about this for one minute. This is the heart and the core of this message right now. There is one side that has been sinful and the other side has been holy and has never changed his holiness and sinfulness is something that comes because of disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Man, women, boys, girls, we are the felonious, we're the error party, we're the party of offense, we are the ones who offend, God is the offended, he never offends you, he never wants to get back at you, and he never wants to hurt you, he's a God who says, you know what? Even if it means I get my hand cut off, I'm going to make a hole in the door and I'm going to stick my arm through and I'm going to say, whosoever will, would you come to me and shake my hand? Folks, I want to tell everybody here today, he's inviting you to open the door. Biblical reconciliation is one-sided. Stop stop and think about that. It originates with God. We love God. Because he first loved us. If God had not made the first move towards reconciliation, there would be no resolution. All of us humans would be in continuous active rebellion against an angry God. And there would be no recourse but for him to just wipe it all out and start all over. But you know what he did? He said, no, no, no. I'm not going to wipe it all out. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe out sin. (laughs) The wrecking ball of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ comes in against the animosity of humans and it crashes through and it opens up a way when you didn't deserve a way and when you didn't make an effort. I sure don't want to be remaining in active rebellion against God. Imagine that. I love reading Max Lucado's books, and he, he writes about a big, muscle bound man named Daniel. Daniel was swindled by his own brother. So Daniel vowed, When I ever see him again, I'm gonna break his neck. A few months later, Daniel became a Christian. But even then, he's like, ah, brother, swindles me. I don't see how I can forgive him. One day, the inevitable encounter took place on a busy avenue. This is how Daniel, can I just read to you Daniel's words? This is how it happened for Daniel. He said, I saw him, but he didn't see me. I felt my fists clench and my face get hot. My initial impulse was to grab him around the throat and choke the life out of him. But as I looked in his face, my anger began to melt. For, 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 for as I saw him, I saw the image of my father. I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's look. I saw my father's expression. And as I saw my father in his face, my enemy once again became my brother. And the brother found himself wrapped in those big arms, but not in a choking, hateful hug, but in a great big loving hug. The two stood in the middle of the river of people swirling around them in that busy avenue. The two stood there, embracing each other, weeping, with tears dripping down their cheeks and onto each other's sleeves. Daniel's words... Bear repeating, when I saw the image of my father in his face, my enemy became my brother. Folks, today we have an opportunity. Today's an opportunity to see as clearly as we've ever seen in our entire lives that God is a God who will let us, if we choose so, to remain in active rebellion. But he is so adamant that he's willing to come and take the first step, make the first move, crash a hole in the door and put his arm through. And there are some of us who would just as soon cut his arm off or turn around and go the other direction because we're too busy. We've got too much to worry about. We've got too many things to do, too many bills to pay. We just can't quite figure it out. No, no, no. Can I just get somebody to stop right now and join me and look at that door and look at that arm? Look at the blood pierced, the, 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 the pierced palm of the hand and, and look at the love in the heart and the, and the eyes of them whose hand is being stretched to you today. The Bible tells us because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it all together are now in on everything. (laughs) The Messiah has made things up between us. So we're now together on this. Both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall. Come on, somebody. He ripped a hole in the door. That door that used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more people than it helped. Then he started over. Look at that. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion. Do you hear that? I'm going to say it again. While musicians join us and we get ready to pray instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. So we can stand in a sanctuary like this. And yes, please, would you stand? We can stand with those who are Latino, those who are Canadian. We can stand with those who are European, We can stand with all those who are in this house regardless of background. And we can love each other. We can see the love of the Father on each other's face. How about we make sure we have of the love of the Father in our hearts. And His love is something we secure by understanding these things. Christ brought us together. This is Ephesians 2 verse 16. Christ brought us together through His death on the cross. The cross God got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Folks, I just want everybody here today to realize that we have a God who has allowed there to be animosity from you to Him, but never from Him to you, unless you refuse the arm unless you refuse to open the door, then you don't want to see that kind of judgment. You don't want to see that kind of retribution. That's called the tribulation. You don't want to see God's wrath poured out upon humanity, starting with man to man the first three years, and then God to man the last three and a half years. You don't want to see that. You and I want to be with the Lord in the air. We want to make sure we're in the rapture. And to be in the rapture, you know what we've got to do? We've got to make sure that the same, the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. Because we have a promise, folks. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, we have a promise. That same same spirit, if it's in me, it'll raise my mortal body from the dead at the coming of the Lord. So I have nothing to worry about. How do I make sure I have that spirit inside of me? Look at Acts 2 and verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sin. The remission of sin. That means sending away. Never to be dealt with again. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Folks, isn't it awesome that you don't just get the gift of the Holy Ghost? You get the gift of friendship. Friendship with Jesus. What I just said right there reminds me of what A.W. Tozer, a preacher of yesteryear, once said. He said, has it ever occurred to you, we got a man over here beautifully playing a piano. A.W. Tozer said these words, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, of course we're talking about, Traditional. He said a hundred pianos all tuned to the same fork. Tuning fork. All of them. A hundred of them. Are automatically tuned to each other. They're all of one chord by being tuned. Not to each other. No, no, no. But to another standard. To which one must individually bow. So a hundred worshipers. Meeting together like we are right now. Each of us looking away to Jesus Christ, each of us looking to Him, we're nearer in heart to each other than we could possibly be if we just came and looked at each other. <laughs> This is the way and the only way we can truly become unified in our spiritual hearts and minds by turning our eyes away from ourselves and on to God. And when we do that, we look to God, we're going to then turn and look at each other and realize there is a unity we never experienced before. That's what we do when we see the Father in each other's face. And then we can praise Him and worship Him together in the kind of unity they had on the day of Pentecost. And it all comes down to us recognizing I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to be his friend. So what do I do about it right now? Here's what you do. You want to join us? Anybody here today who has not yet accepted that handshake by obedience to the scripture and has not yet 100% or maybe it's been a while since you have allowed the spirit to flow through you and get into a mode where you lose control of your tongue. Maybe it's been a while since you prayed to the point where you pray through to tears. I don't think I, if I was you, I don't think I'd let myself lapse back into an offensiveness with God. I don't want to be in a rebellion. I don't want to be in even anything that even resembles being out of touch with God. I want him to be my constant companion and my best friend. Can I tell you a friend in Jesus is the friend you own, the only friend you need? So how about it together as a congregation? You do your best to make a move right now. I want to invite anybody and everybody who'd like to come to this altar and say, God, I'm ready for a refreshing. Lord, I'm ready for you to touch and let me get a fresh start. God, my friendship with you, I want it never to be on the line. I want my friendship with you to be secure. I want to be right with God every step of the way and every hour of every day.